flyer back up there for the Biblical Insights conference. Can everybody see that? Can anybody see that? You can't read it. Okay. You want to know why that is? Because there's a lot of information crammed into a small space right there. And that is a good summary of Brother Readout's ministry. A lot of stuff crammed into a little bit of space. So when you come, bring your notebook and listen fast. And then you're still probably going to want to go back and get the audio because we're going to record everything, right? You're going to want to go back and get the audio and listen to it all again. So if you've never, um, if you've never been to... Uh, or been able to listen to any of uh, Brother Readout's ministry, um, you're really not going to want to miss this. You're going to want to be there for as much as you can be there for. And I don't mind saying he's had a completely transformative effect on my own life, my whole life, really. Not just my ministry, my whole life, which has affected everything else. And, uh, and I should have known that something was up when, whenever that was years ago when... Uh, Pastor and I were, were meeting and, you know, having breakfast once in a while. And, and he, was, he wasn't pushing me, but he was nudging me to get in contact with Brother Readout. He, he, he kept saying things like, you know what, that'd be a good question for Brother Readout. And I'm like, who is this Brother Readout guy? And so finally, I, I got the hint and he gave me his email and, and I, uh, I emailed him this question. And his very first response was not like anything I had ever seen. His, his, his initial response to my question was not like anything I had ever seen. And then it just kind of all went downhill or uphill, depending on how you want to call it from there. But um, so I would just really encourage you to make it for as much of that as you can. And um, before I get started today, I just want to say that um, something that is unique about Brother Readout's ministry is it can come across as negative. And there's a good reason for that. Because I don't know how many of you realize it, but in Christendom today, there is a tremendous amount of misunderstanding and I'll be so bold as to say there's a tremendous amount of false ideology, and I'll even go so far as to say idolatry, okay? We've come a long way in 2,000 years, a long way downhill, all right? Again, I don't, you know, if you... If you tune into something as you read through, not just the New Testament, but the whole of the scriptures, the number of warnings there are about false prophets and false teachers and false ideology, the number of ink committed in this book to those things, false teaching, false ideology, false prophets, uh, false apostles, it's really stunning. It's actually one of 
the dominant themes in this book. It really is. I read an article one time about a, a professor, a Bible college professor, who gave his students the, uh, the task of finding out what some of the major themes in the Bible were. And one of the, one of the big answers was um, talking about false teaching and, and identifying false prophets, how to identify all this. So I just have to believe, and the Lord himself, he talked about it. The Apostle Paul, every single author in the New Testament warned about it. Every one. And I just have to believe that it wasn't for no reason. That they knew, you know, Paul said, for if he that cometh after, you know, and, and some of them were not even going to wait until the apostles had passed off the scene. You know, John lived until, what, 90 AD or something like that. There were already false apostles and false teachers uh, on the scene then. And so um, sometimes what you have to do in order to impart truth is to expose what's false. And that also is a, is a major theme in Scripture. And... Uh, I have got lots of time today. It's only 7.45. <laughs> There's a little clock here on my iPad. I'm going to have to keep a close watch on that. So, you know, sometimes it can feel like there's uh, a lot of negative in pulpit ministry, but, um, and maybe not so much as negative, but negation. And... Um, there is just so much false ideology today that you cannot just, just teach the truth. God was not content for his ministers to simply teach the truth. He said, you need to teach the truth and you need to teach what's false. And then there was a third thing. The difference. That's very specific. In fact, that passage of Scripture, I'm not, this isn't my text today, but, um, and I didn't give you any Scriptures over there today. I'm sorry. Joe Nathan, <laughs> I, have, I have every confidence in you that, uh, that you'll be able to keep up, though. You know your way around the Bible, don't you? You're one of those quizzers? <laughs> okay. He's probably faster on this stuff than most of us grown-ups. Ezekiel chapter 44 and verse 23 is, is a scripture. Um, again, this is not my text today, but he says, And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the clean and the unclean. You see what he's saying there? You need to teach what's holy and you need to teach what's profane as well. And then you teach the difference between the two. There's three things that are enumerated there. And, uh, and that's important stuff. It really is. We're, um, we're likely not to gain a full understanding if only the truth is presented. Because if we have false ideologies in our own mind, you know, God is a good God and he knows us. He really does. And we've probably all got little bits of false ideology. Probably all of us have little bits of, of things that are maybe not true in our minds when our beliefs about God. And what is uh, false 
has to be dismantled. God was not content for his ministers to just teach the truth and let people figure out what to do with the false themselves. Okay? He's nothing if he's not thorough. So he said, you teach them what's true and you teach them what's false so they will know what to do with that. And how many times did you hear the Lord say, you've heard it said of old time, but I say unto you. All right? So he's contrasting two things there. He's taking their old ideology and pointing out the, what, what's lacking there, and he's giving them something else. And he's contrasting his thoughts with our thoughts, okay? And teaching us the difference between truth and error. And so um, there is, in fact, the Lord said in another scripture, I'm not remembering where it is, but he said, your priests have profaned my name because they have not taught the difference between the holy and the profane. The difference between the holy and the profane. And, you know, we need to know that because it's possible for you to have truth, but it only exists in your mind as a belief. And that's not good enough. You need to know the truth. Jesus did not say, you will believe the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth only sets you free if you know it. And you can't know the truth if you've got a conflicting belief that's false in your mind because you can have a belief about something that's true and then a belief that's false that coexists about that same thing in your mind. And you know what that does? It creates confusion. Okay, so that's why we need teaching that tells us that if there's something that we believe that's wrong. We really need that. We don't like it. We really don't like it. We don't like being told that anything that we believe is wrong. So sometimes it hurts, but it's necessary for... Uh, to dispel confusion. And you know, when the Lord taught about discipleship, he didn't just say, these are the things that you need to do to be my disciple. He said, if you don't do these things, then you cannot be my disciple. See, it's one thing for him to say, you have to do these things to be my disciple. Okay, that has a certain impact on us, but it has a different impact on us when he says, look, if you don't do these things, you cannot be my disciple. Now, that's a negative message, isn't it? So, there is a time and a place for negative ministry. Because it makes us choose. It brings us to a choice in our own minds. It brings us to uh, maybe even a crisis point, so to speak. Uh, but we have to be brought to that in order to, in order to know the truth. It's only knowing the truth that makes you free. Just believing it is not good enough. Praise the Lord. So, that being said, I want to talk about uh, how our God is a sovereign God today. You know, there are, God has a, um, a number of attributes 
and uh, some of them he shares with humanity like justice and mercy and kindness and long-suffering you can find those things in human beings but he has his own attributes that are also exclusively unique to him that he doesn't share with anybody else there's eight of them can anybody name all of them how about some of them just just rattle them off go ahead i know you guys He's absolute. Oh, my goodness. You started off with the hardest one. That's, we won't even go there, but yes, he's absolutely absolute. What else? He's immutable. He doesn't change. What else? He is omniscient. He knows everything that can be known and everything that cannot be known. What else? Omnipresent. Everywhere, every when. All at the same time, he's everywhere. What else? Sovereign? Is that what you, did you say that? He's sovereign. He's absolutely sovereign. What else? What was that? Love. He is absolutely love. He's not just loving. He's not just lovable people. I know people that are loving and lovable, but he is love. It's a fundamental character attribute of his. And... Uh, you know, we need to know all of these. We really do because it's real easy to grab onto one of those attributes and focus on it and go into error because he is balanced by all of his attributes. He is the total package. He's not any one of those things. You can't isolate one and focus in on it and say, this is what God is because he's not just that. He's, he's, he's all eight of those things and all eight of those balance each other. Sovereignty is the one that, um, this was when he really began to reveal himself to me was through his sovereignty. But you can't just focus on that one thing. But we're just going to focus on that one thing today. <laughs> With the caveat that you can't just focus on that one thing. Okay? Digging myself into a hole here, aren't I? What's that? For the sake of study. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 6. If you all stand with me. I'm going to read a very obscure verse that probably nobody here has ever heard before in chapter 7 and verse 14. And it says, If my people, yes. which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Pastor, would you pray and ask the Lord to bless this word today? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you, uh, obviously that's not a very obscure verse at all. It's, uh, it's a very widely known verse. It's been printed on, uh, on uh, the covers of um, journals and uh, devotionals and coffee cups and postcards it's 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 a verse that we know very well but uh what's not so widely known is the context of it and there is an interesting context and that is the 
the, the finishing and the dedication of the temple. This, is, this was part of Solomon's, um, or a, this is actually something that God says in correction of what Solomon said in the dedication of the temple. And so if you go back into chapter 6, Solomon dedicates this temple and he offers this uh, quite long prayer about how if this happened or if that happened, that if people would just look toward the temple, that uh, God would do whatever it was that they wanted him to do. And it's a long prayer because Solomon seems to cover as many uh, uh, possibilities as he can. If, if this one thing happens, then if people will just pray toward the temple or in the temple, then, you know, you'll do what we're asking you to do. Or if this other thing happens or even this other thing happens. And uh, he's, uh, uh, it's all revolved around the temple. Okay. And this still happens today. Great emphasis is placed on the structure, the edifice that people uh, have church in as the focal point of the Christian life. And as long as somebody shows up for church every Sunday in midweek, then, you know, they're, they're just bound to make it. But being associated with Christians doesn't make you one. It just doesn't. There's much more to becoming a child of God than faithful church attendance and the consecrations and the, the spiritual disciplines that we all engage in. It's got to be all about him. The Lord Jesus Christ has to be the absolute center of everything in your life, in your universe. And he has to be the Lord of your life. And that's a statement all by itself that has a lot of depth to it. It has a lot of meaning to it. So I want to go back and, uh, and read Solomon's prayer here. And uh, going back to chapter 6 and beginning with verse 19, it'll be a long reading here, so just bear with me if you will. But pay attention to the number of times that he refers to the temple, okay? Beginning with verse 19, 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Have respect, therefore, to the prayer of thy servant and to to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee, that thine eyes may be open upon this house, day and night, upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldest put thy name there, to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth toward this place. Hearken therefore unto the supplications of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy, thank you for your help there. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, And when thou hearest, forgive. If a man sin against his neighbor, see, we're starting with all of these ifs here. Every scenario he can think of. If a man sin against his neighbor, and an oath be laid upon him to make him swear, and the oath come before thine altar in, then hear thou from heaven, and do, and judge thy servants by requiting the wicked, by recompensing his way upon his own head, and by justifying the righteous, and by giving him according to his righteousness. And if thy people, Israel, be put to the worst before the enemy, because they have sinned against thee, and shall return, and confess thy name, and pray, and make supplication before thee, and then hear thou from the heavens, and forgive the sin of thy people Israel, and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest unto them and to their fathers. When the heaven is shut up, and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee, yet if they pray toward this place, and confess thy name, and turn from their sin, 
when thou dost afflict them. Then hear thou from heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel when thou hast taught them the good way, wherein they should walk and send rain upon the land which thou hast given unto thy people for an inheritance. If there be a dearth in the land and there be pestilence, if there be blasting or mildew or locusts or caterpillars or their enemies besiege them in their cities or their land, whatsoever sore, whatsoever sickness there be, then what prayer or what supplication soever shall be made of any man or of all thy people Israel where everyone shall know his own sore and his own grief and shall spread forth his hands in this house. Then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and render unto every man according to all his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For only thou knowest the hearts of the children of men, that they may fear thee to walk in thy ways, so long as they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. Moreover, concerning the stranger which is not of thy people Israel, but is come from a far country for thy great name's sake, and thy mighty hand, and thy stretched out arm, if they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from heavens, from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth thee for, and all that the people of the earth may know thy name, and fear thee as doth the people Israel, and may know that this house, I just didn't pause and give you your shot there which I have built is called by thy name if thy people go out to war against their enemies by way that thou shalt send them and they pray unto thee toward this city which thou hast chosen and this house which I have built for thy name ah then hear thou from the heavens their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. If they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them and deliver them over before their enemies. And they carry away captives unto a land uh, far off or near. Yet if they bethink themselves in the land whither they are carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity saying we have sinned and we have done amiss and have dealt wickedly if they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity whether they have carried them captives and pray toward their land which thou gavest to their fathers and toward the city which thou hast chosen and toward the house which I have built for thy name, even if they're like somewhere else, as long as they just kind of pray in the general direction of this house, then hear thou from the heavens, from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications and maintain their cause and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. Now, my God, let I beseech thee, thine eyes be open and let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, unto thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength, and let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away from the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of thy servant David. And if you go to around the corner to the next verse in uh, chapter 7, it says, now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. That's very important. The fire fell and it consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. So after Solomon is all said and done, God then gives his conditions for answered prayer. Solomon gave his ideas of how things should be. And when it's all finished, they have, uh, they have eight days of worship. And when you go to verse 12, after that eight days, it says, and the Lord appeared 
to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. Remember the fire felt and the sacrifices were consumed and he said, this is going to be a place of sacrifice. Verse 13, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. And I want to stop right there and say, what does this say about God? It says that if these things happen among God's people, it's because he sends them. Okay? Don't look outside the borders. Don't look towards your enemies. Don't look toward bad luck, which is just one of the false gods that men have invented, or karma, another one of men's false gods. Don't look to any of those things. Look to him, because if we belong to him and these things come our way, it's because he sent them. All right? And then we get into verse 14. He says, look, if, if any of these things that, that, that you have mentioned befall you, this is what you need to do. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Those are my conditions. Notice that it didn't have anything to do with the temple. I think that's interesting. Verse 15. Now mine eyes shall be opened and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. So he does acknowledge the place, but when does he do that? The first word there is now. Now my eyes will be open. Now my ears will be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. When is now? It's after the if and the then of verse 14. Those are the qualifications. What's in verse 14? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. There's a lot of praying that goes on without being humbled. There's a lot of proud prayer that goes on that God doesn't listen to. I, I heard somebody, Brother Readout, talked about somebody who asked a question one time that, that even I thought was funny the first time I read it. The question was, how can I impress God with a prayer? <laughs> even I thought that was funny. Do you know how to impress God? Humble yourself. To this man will I look. To him that is of a humble and a contrite spirit. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. You cannot get around that, folks. You cannot get around that. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face. You can't get around that one either. And turn from their wicked ways. You can't get around that. All of these ingredients have to be in place in order to get the outcome he says, when those things happen, now, 
will my ear be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place? It's not about the temple. It's about the heart condition of the person who's praying. Verse 16, for now have I chosen and sanctified this house and my name shall be there forever. This is going to be a place of sacrifice, Solomon. But if your heart's not right, then it doesn't matter whether you're looking at this place or in this place or near this place. This place has nothing to do with that. It's all about what's in your heart. If you will humble yourself and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, if you don't do those things, you can live in this temple and it won't make a difference. Praise the Lord. If you don't obey verse 14, then verse 15 and 16 are not going to happen. So the fact of the matter is, is regardless of what Solomon said, all of those scenarios that he laid out, God chooses the terms of answered prayer period. He lays them out. He's clear about it. I mean, he wants us to know who he is. He wants us to understand him. And so we don't ever dictate the terms by which he will operate because he is absolutely sovereign. He is sovereign and he is absolutely sovereign. Nothing's going to change that because he's also immutable, absolutely immutable. And, uh, you know, there might be people that kind of have a hard time with that, that we don't get to dictate the terms of our relationship with him. And uh, there might be folks that think they get to decide how things are going to be between them and God. And they're not serving the one true living God. They're serving a lesser God that they can order around. And look, I'm telling on myself here. I spent many years serving a God that I could order around. And you know what's ironic about that? What is, what is almost silly about that is how... That God, that lesser God, doesn't answer prayers any more than the one true God will not answer an idolatrous prayer. Nobody answers an idolatrous prayer. And yet we still pray them. People still pray idolatrous prayers all the time. Praise the Lord. You could do your best to control the world around you and make it conform to your terms, but you will never control God you will never succeed in telling him how things are going to be regardless of what your status in your world is regardless of how high you you ascend in the in the corporate ladder or whatever ladder it is that you're climbing you're never going to get to a place where God is going to recognize your person and your status and say well now I'll submit to you he's never going to do that he is never going to surrender his sovereignty to your persistence either. There's a common ideology out there that we just need to pray more and more and more and more. You ever heard the acronym PUSH? PUSH! Pray until something happens. If what you've prayed for hasn't happened, then just keep praying. Sooner or later, God's bound to answer it. That's nonsense. If he didn't answer the very first time, then there's a good reason for it. And you're just wasting your breath. And, uh, you know, I thought about this here recently. Up there on that high mountain, the devil uh, said that he would give Jesus everything he had dominion over if he would just bow down and worship him. Y'all know that story? You know that people do that? 
Oh, yes, they do. Lord, I'll give you dominion over everything that I have if you'll just submit yourself to me. Think about it. Lord, I'll serve you, but I have a few conditions. Mm. He, he chooses the rules by which he operates, and man never changes them. You know, he, he chooses the time and the place for miracles to occur. The operation of miracles is not on the, under the governance of any human being. He does those things, and he does them in a sovereign manner. I, uh, I was on the phone with Brother Smith the other day, and I asked the question, why does God do miracles? Did, did anybody ever thought of that? Why does God do miracles? Now, there's all kinds of ideas about why he does miracles out there, but there's only one that's right. What's that? To point people to himself and reveal himself to people. That's exactly right. To bring glory to himself. It isn't to bless people. It isn't to do nice things for people. It's to point people in his direction. And the one that, my, my favorite fallback for that is in Luke chapter 5, where uh, the Lord causes this great catch of fish. Everybody know that story? Peter and Andrew are in their boat fishing, and there's this enormous amount of fish that are just, they just happen to swim into Peter and Andrew's net. So much so that they can't pull them up, the nets are starting to break, the boat's starting to sink, they have to call James and John over. And you know what Peter said, right? You know what happened? It says, and when Peter saw, not the fish, when he saw who Jesus Christ was, that was what it was all about. Didn't have anything to do with him wanting to bless Peter or pay him back for, you know, the use of his boat or, you know, popular thing now is he was, he was, uh, he had a tax bill that he owed and, you know, the Lord was helping him pay. None of that. Misses the point. Missed the point completely. Went right over the head of somebody. He did it for the purpose of revealing himself to Peter and Peter understood it. And just a few verses later, it says, when they got up to shore, they parked the boats and it says they forsook. What? All is what it says. It says they forsook all, everything. I think that's verse 11. You know what all included? All those fish. How's that for gratitude for you? The Lord does this great miracle and Peter just walks away from it. Why? Because it wasn't about the fish and it wasn't about Peter it was about Jesus Christ revealing who he was. That's why he does miracles. So anybody that thinks they're going to do miracles that doesn't, a miracle that doesn't glorify him, anything that looks like a miracle that doesn't point you in his direction, it's all about him. Do you know that it's all about him? Mm. God is absolutely sovereign. He does not take orders from us. I don't care what it is. He doesn't take orders from us. I watched a young man one time, a young prophet prophesy over a man, 
and conferred to him the gift of healing, came up and just put his hand on that man's head. I'm not going to do that because it'll mess your hair up. And said, brother, you have the gift of healing. And so this man is standing right between his wife and his daughter, both of whom have major health issues. So what do you think he's going to do with that? He's just been given this gift of healing. And he thinks it's under his governance. So he prays for his wife, and then he prays for his daughter, and then they all started talking in tongues and wahoo. And I told my wife, I said, you watch. If those two ladies aren't healed, and this was a humble man, this is a precious brother, a humble man. If those two ladies aren't healed, he's going to blame himself. And not two weeks later, maybe it was two weeks later, I was talking with him, and he was telling me with tears in his eyes, tears in his eyes, I prayed for them and they weren't healed. And I asked the Lord, is it me? Caused a lot of problems in that family. Caused a lot of questions in that family. And you know, the questions almost never go in the right direction. When something like that happens, it seems like the first one to get questioned is God. What, what went wrong here, Lord? What's wrong with this picture? I'm going to close real quickly with uh, something out of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 10, this records, in my opinion, what is the most extraordinary event to occur, at least geologically and astrologically, uh, since creation. I realize that's a pretty big statement, but Joshua commands the earth to stand still, okay? Beginning with verse 12, then spake Joshua, I've got plenty of time, it's still only 745, then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. Has anybody here ever thought about the implications and the ramifications and everything that had to happen there. I mean, this is big stuff right here, guys. Joshua and Israel are fighting against the Amorites and they've got them on the run. They've got the upper hand and it's fixing to go dark and they didn't fight at night there. And what they had to do Joshua's thinking, we've got to get this wrapped up because if the sun goes down, they can either regroup or they can flee altogether and we've essentially lost it. We, we, we need to get this dealt with today and so we need some more time. So first of all, Joshua's not doing his own thing. He is operating within the will of God because God told him, you take care of these people. All right? This wasn't about Joshua. It wasn't even about Israel. This was about the will of God being accomplished. 
This was about God's own purpose. And so Joshua says, in order for this to get taken care of, what we need is more daylight. We cannot have the sun go down right now. So what had to happen in order for the sun to stand still is the earth had to stop spinning on its axis. Okay, that's big enough. The earth is spinning at like 29,000 miles at the equator. Okay, in order to bring that to a halt, do you know what would happen? Everything on the planet, including the whole earth's crust, the centrifugal force would just, it would cause cataclysms worldwide it would literally just wreck everything if an asteroid can hit the earth and that allegedly be responsible for the death of all the dinosaurs and whatnot imagine what it would take to stop the earth just put the brakes on just like that it would be major in fact all of the water would keep on moving and would swamp the whole planet so is this getting big here or what God had to stop all of that stuff he had to stop everything and then because the law of gravity is perfectly balancing the spinning of the earth and keeping us glued to the earth because you know what happens when you know what those those little playground things that spin and you get the kids on them you ever done you, they don't have those anymore do they i think somebody figured out they weren't safe after there was a guy that made a youtube video of a guy laying a mini bike down and putting the back wheel up against one you can find this it's on youtube People were on this thing. They got that thing going so fast that everybody on it just pew, just flew off. So the Lord had to balance everything just perfectly in order to bring that to pass. But Joshua was a smart guy. He's, he also commanded the moon to stop too because if that kept going, that would have messed everything up too. So that was big. And verse 14 says that there was no day like that before or after it. Nothing like that had ever happened again. But what was it that this verse is talking about? That the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. That's why this story is included there. God is making the point that was the first time that that had ever happened and the last. He doesn't take orders from us. Now, you can get into the whole, there, there's a whole lot more to this if you want to think about it. God already knew what he was going to do. All right? He already knew what he was going to do. And remember, Joshua was acting in accordance with the will of God. He was doing the will of God. So, I shouldn't be under any false ideology that I can order God around and tell him to do this and that for me or this and that for that person or whatever without knowing what his will is. He says very clearly right here, he doesn't take orders from us. He is absolutely sovereign. And sovereign means self-ruling. Nobody influences God. Nobody persuades God. Nobody enforces their own will upon him he has always been about his purpose and doing his thing in this world and we are just tiny 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 little parts of that praise god he does not act because we pray he has never acted because people pray 
We're told that very specifically. He doesn't act because we ask him to, and he certainly doesn't act when we command him to, which is the equivalent of commanding this or that to be done. I command this or that, or I rebuke this and that. You're telling God what to do there because he's the one that's expected to make good on that, right? Are you going to make it happen? I command this sickness to be gone. Did it listen to you? Or does somebody else have to be involved in that whole thing to make it happen? We're really ordering God around in that situation, and we ought to be very careful. It's always a safe thing. When people ask me to pray for this or that, what I say is, Lord, just let your will be done right there, whatever it is. You can never go wrong with that. First John chapter 5 and verse 14, and, and Sister Rosette's timing is perfect. If you could all stand at 745, actually like 744. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. And this is the, somebody say that. Is it up there yet? Confidence. You want to pray with confidence? This is how you do it. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Does that mean he doesn't hear the prayer that's not according to his will? He hasn't obligated himself to do that. He has never obligated himself to obey me or do what I tell him to do. He says, when you pray, and you pray according to my will, there's something special about that prayer. What if you don't know the will of God? Then pray until you find out what it is. Seek him until you know what it is. Because when we align ourselves with his purpose, and we get on his page, then his will can be done in our lives. Not our will. God has never obligated himself to do my will. He's going to do his own will. So I need to find out what that is. And you know what? He's not going to impose his will upon anybody either. There's a balance here. We need to surrender ourselves to his lordship in our lives so that his will can then be done in our lives. He already knows everything that he intends to do, so we just need to discover what his purpose is, and then we can pray with confidence. I always like to say, if you want answered prayers, then pray prayers that God can answer. And there are, we're told in Scripture what those are. Praise the Lord. So that's it. I'm done. I don't really know what time it is. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask Brother Jesse if he'll come up and close this service out. Amen. It's a wonderful message. Thank you, Brother McAdee, for that. Um, yeah, that's, that's something that I find myself asking is to know his will for for me in my own life what he would have me to do and you know that's a hard thing you know we want to make our own plans and our own decisions and you know as I, as I get a little you know older you know through the years I start to see that you know everything it's it's really not about me it's not about you know my own plans they'll just they'll just fall short you know things can happen COVID you know, I think that's a huge thing that woke up everyone, that just anything can happen. You know, God sends these things our way, 
to remind us that we are not in control, that he is in control. And that, you know, that COVID for me was a huge wake up call in my own life. And I know it was for a lot of other people's lives. And so um, I, I take this message to heart and I invite, you know, anyone that, you know, feels this, that conviction in their heart after hearing this message, if they want to come to the altar and pray or, you know, sit or kneel at, the, at your seat, um, however it is that you would just come and uh, talk to Jesus. Amen.